Consider the following, and some of the results you will hardly believe. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Teacher Turn Alchemist podcast. My name is Lydia, and I am pumped that you took the time to join me today. This podcast is a record of my journey from special ed teacher to kombucha tap room owner, which also will be a training place and provide employment to adults with disabilities. This business is called Living Simple, Living Full Kombucha, where our motto is simply made full of opportunities. In today's episode, we're going to cover all things kombucha. I often get a 50-50 split on the questions that I get surrounding kombucha from a lot of curious friends and family. One question being, what is it? And the other questions usually focus on health benefits and what does kombucha actually cure? So I'm excited to go over all of that and more in today's episode. I thought I would sip on a plain kombucha throughout this podcast, which do not worry, I will cover in a moment on what is the difference between plain and flavored kombucha on here in a bit if you're wondering. But after researching and listening to some of my favorite podcasts, I noticed that they were having mainstay segments on their podcasts, like something they do each podcast to be consistent. So I thought, since one of the primary focuses of this podcast is to chat about this lovely drink, I'd share each time what I'm sipping on. So today, I went for a plain brew that I am trying using the continuous brew method. Again, I'm going to do my best to break down some kombucha lingo for you, so it's like we are here sipping together and you will be able to use these terms easily and understand them. You know when you're learning a new language or reading a new manual and it's super overwhelming and confusing at first, but then you own that shiz later because you are exposed to it over and over again and you use that knowledge to share it with the world. Oh yeah, we will get there. And I say we because I am by no way an expert of this craft. In last week's episode, I shared the concept of seven years to become a master, But really, that just means to me that I have a long way to go before I consider myself to be any kind of an expert. But I have done some due diligence on researching, experimenting, and reaching out to who I would consider experts. And I'm eager to share that with you today and what I have learned. Thank you for your grace if I do mess up, as I probably will. And I would gladly welcome any feedback to today's episode, and really any episode here on out or in the past. Plus, this will be an ultimate test of my teaching abilities. Although I was a pro at writing down step-by-step guides with pictures for my students to not forget to like clean out the lint trap or use hot water on dishes, (laughs) this episode is going to be a true test if I can take what I have learned and communicate with you well. So anyway, with my kombucha in hand, let's get to it. Does kombucha make you poop? How's that for attention-grabbing opener? Take that, Charlotte Danielson. (laughs) Sorry, I could not resist. This is for you, my teacher friends. I am going to cover this in chunks, sans any learning targets, because I feel like a rebel not sharing. And this is not a lesson, you guys. This is a podcast, and although I am basically talking at you, I want you to think of it as a friendly conversation and share your thoughts with me. As a student, which I have spent a lot more time as a student than a teacher, one way that I learned best was by chunking material. I'll start with a brief history of kombucha, then I'm going to move into the way kombucha is made, followed by health benefits, if there are any, and what I have noticed about myself after drinking it regularly. Chunk number one, where did kombucha come from? 
for me, when I had a friend introduce me to this drink a couple years ago, I just thought that it was another manufactured drink, but boy, was I wrong. You know, after researching, I came across a lot of different interesting stories, articles, and discussions. The most common origin story is that kombucha is said to have been consumed since the year 221 BC in China during the Tinsin Dynasty. The first emperor of China, Xin Sheng Huang, oh man, I did my best on these pronunciations and listening to each of these audio pronunciations online, but I'm still probably not going to do them justice, so my apologies. Anyway, Xin Xing Wang drank what he pronounced as Lingzi, which he coined the elixir of life. However, digging deeper into this Lingzi, which again, honestly, I went first to Google on how to pronounce it, the picture of Lingzi was of a mushroom. Lingzi is, in fact, a mushroom, actually referred to more as the Rishi or Raishi mushroom, which kombucha is not made from mushrooms. Although sometimes it is referred to as mushroom tea, uber confusing. So it made me curious to dig a little bit more. What is believed by many is that perhaps the emperor Xinxiang Wang saw the scoby. I'll chat about scobies during her next chunk, no worries, which may appear mushroom-like in its form and perhaps thought that it was indeed a mushroom. In my mind, when I think of tea consumption, which is the main component to kombucha, I often think of Eastern Asia because they drank so much tea. So I found it interesting that during my research, I didn't come across one definitive mention of kombucha or fermentation of tea during that time period outside of that example. Something that continued to show up in my research was a little later in 414 AD, a Korean doctor by the name of Kambu brought a tea to Japan to help an emperor there. When I saw Kambu, I thought, aha, that's where the name came from, which many suggest that it does. But it made me laugh that after reading more about Kambu, his name is actually Kama... No, hold on. Let me say this right. Kamu ha there's a hyphen in between the kamu hyphen ha which according to an article written by kobe nation online the ha at the end of his name in japanese meant doctor which later translated to a lot of other texts that i read as dr kambu hmm. this tea that dr kambu if you will brought to this emperor was actually made of seaweed and even more confused the heck out of me because the name for the seaweed, you guys, is kambu. And it's a tea. And the cha in the word kombucha actually means tea in Japanese. Whoa. So kombucha was perhaps not even named after kamuha or Dr. Kambu. So interesting. And everyone has their opinion. And regardless, this type of tea that Dr. Kamu ha. Dr. Kambu, however you like to refer to him as, this tea is not the type of fermented kombucha that we know we drink today, particular to the United States. Although this drink is still consumed majorly in Japan and spelled separate, kombu and cha, which means kelp tea or like seaweed tea. After reading a lot into this seaweed kelp tea, I have to say I'm really intrigued. I've tried seaweed chips and I did not like that taste, but with all the health benefits we know are true with many seaweeds, I'd be willing to try an authentic version of this kombucha. Would you ever try it? I'm curious. That being said, kombucha was first officially documented at the end of the 19th century from Russia and Ukraine, 
where Russian and German prisoners of war drank it during World War I as people described drinking vinegar, which many people thought is kombucha, which they claimed gave them energy and the magic mushroom, as many continue to describe, the yeast ferment of the scoby, was said to cure or aid in a lot of healings. Whew, I know that that was a big chunk, but I find all of the history fascinating. You know, whether this history is accurate, as you can see, there are many different views, texts, and even languages that slightly change information given. I think it's clear to see that regardless of when kombucha first originated, anyone drinking a form of it, whether that be seaweed or what we call the live kombucha today, it felt good and it felt good enough to want to share it with their friends, their fellow soldiers, and their family. The process of fermentation continues to help us as humans understand our bodies better as we live among all this bacteria and connect with the world around us. And that was evident even long ago. So that was a really cool uh, research and I'm sure I'll learn more as time goes on. So moving along, what is this stuff made out of? Chunk number two. When I see it at the store on the shelf, what in the world am I getting myself into? I'm pumped to share this with you after a quick break. The making of this stuff is just so cool. I feel the easiest way to share with you what it is and is to tell you the process of making it. I already love being in the kitchen, so when I saw that I could make this stuff, I wanted to give it a shot. I started making kombucha about one and a half years ago now, and I was exploring what I would deem healthier options in my lifestyle and in my food choices, and my friend introduced me to kombucha. I was pretty addicted after a little bit, especially in part to how it made me feel little teaser into the next chunk, and with how tasty it really was. I realized it would be more cost-effective since I was drinking one bottle per day. Again, I told you I was getting addicted. <laughs> um, to attempt to make this at home, and that way I could also try mixing and matching different flavors. So here is what is inside of kombucha. It's simple, and I love simple. That is why the word simple is in my business name. Everything I make and sell, I want to be easily understood. Simple. There are four main ingredients to kombucha. Tea, sugar, water, and what is called a symbiotic culture of yeast and bacteria, which is referred to as in the kombucha world using the acronym lovingly as a SCOBY. So let's start with the tea. Since kombucha actually is a type of tea, often that surprises people when I mention that. The tea that works best with kombucha is caffeinated teas like black tea, green teas, due to the different tannins that are inside of the tea. However, I have gotten to know other brewers who use teas such as oolong, white, and puer tea. A great aspect is that tea is paired with what is called L-theanine, oh I hope I'm saying that right, which I feel like Hannah Crum, who is hailed in the kombucha world as the ultimate kombucha expert, and endearingly as Kombucha Mama, does amazing at explaining in her amazing book, I highly recommend it, The Big Book of Kombucha, which quote, L-theanine is an amino acid analog of glutamine and glutamate, which balances the caffeine to provide calm, focused energy, minus the crash and burn that coffee and energy drinks are famous for. Studies show that when taken together, L-theanine and caffeine also improve cognitive performance and mood, which is why many people turn to tea and kombucha for focused energy. Cool. 
I myself have a sensitivity to caffeine with my irritable bowel syndrome or IBS, which is why I think I was so drawn to kombucha at first because I did not think that it contained caffeine. I was a dummy. I saw a probiotic on the label and I didn't assume caffeine, but later realized that it does have a little bit, but cool enough because I didn't have any side effects like I normally would with uh, like drinking a straight black tea, remember again, IBS, or soda, and I'm glad that I didn't read the label that time as I may have not consumed kombucha. The caffeine inside of the tea helps the SCOBY ferment at its best, and it's still possible to brew with decaffeinated tea, like I love hibiscus, that beautiful pink uh, tea, and butterfly PT, which still can turn out really well. I've actually had a few successful brews. However, they do require a little bit more of that SCOBY to start and a longer brewing time. So let's move on to the sugar. Ah, okay, do not freak out. Our bodies do require sugar. I have found in my adult life, I completely got addicted to it. And by it, I mean the processed bad sugars, the ones that have extremely negative impacts on my body, especially eating in large quantities, like the little Debbie brownies, the Reese's peanut butter cups, Jolly Ranchers, ketchup, pasta sauce. Those are my personal faves that I have since tried to limit or completely take out of my diet, but the role of sugar in kombucha plays a purpose. The sugar combines with the tea and the water and creates a strong sweet tea that the SCOBY can feed off of. And this is crucial to kombucha. See, this is where the alchemy comes in and I love it. As the SCOBY, remember, that is a culture of bacteria and yeast it eats that yucky sucrose, which is in the sugar, and through the fermentation process, it transforms that sugar to become glucose and fructose, if you use fruit too, which I'll get into in a minute. That type of sugar is what our bodies identify more readily and thus can be used better throughout. All brewers are so different in their choice of sugar. What I like to use is organic cane sugar, although with cost sometimes, I've gotten plain white sugar, Still keeping in mind that even some of those sugars are modified and I like to buy organic whenever possible. Some brewers use other sugars like evaporated cane juice or the tap room that I just got a job at, more to come later on that awesomeness, uses honey from her own beehives. Wait, hold on. You're saying that there's absolutely no way that you can make kombucha sugar free? Unfortunately, no, there's not. And this also includes sweeteners, by the way, stevia, sweet and lows, you have to use the real deal. In order for fermentation to occur, you must have the three main elements of tea, sugar, and a SCOBY. Also, when the fermentation process is done, since a SCOBY eats up a bunch of that sugar, it transforms it through the process, and what is left is a whole lot less sugar. So for example, if you were to go to the store right now and grab a 16-ounce GT kombucha, which is one of the most recognizable kombucha brands and often most available across the United States. I'm not sure in other areas. I'll have to do some more research on that. But if you look on the nutritional facts on the back, you can see that the sugar left is between 2 to 8 grams respectively per serving. Which, if, if I were to go back and reevaluate the drinks that I used to drink, co, <laughs> lemonade, not mixed together, gross, but I was definitely consuming way less sugar drinking kombucha and I was feeling so much better. Moving on to water, I'll keep it short and sweet. 
to make the sweet tea, add in filtered water, reverse osmosis water, basically any water that you are sure doesn't have harmful contaminants in it that can disrupt the SCOBY, which luckily wherever I have lived thus far, it's been deemed safe to drink out of taps. But I do get filtered water and I do have a pitcher when making my batches at home. Some contaminants like chlorine can mess with the SCOBY and can even produce mold or what brewers would say a bad batch. All right, last ingredient, the SCOBY. I always want to like say it as Scooby, like Scooby-Doo. <laughs> but again, SCOBY stands for Symbiotic Culture of Bacteria and Yeast. And this SCOBY transforms the sweet tea into what is known as kombucha. The thing that's important to remember is that the SCOBY is alive. The bacteria and the yeast are like a team, each creating byproducts throughout the fermentation process that helps the others to eventually make bomb kombucha. And that is not to say that if you are around a SCOBY that it's gonna come out and eat you, but it is really cool to remember that this is good bacteria and yeast and it's alive and it creates something pretty great for our bodies. When I first saw a SCOBY, I thought that I was looking at the biggest booger blob I had ever seen. It was light and pale with a couple of dark spots on it. It was slimy and it floated at the top of my, my brewing vessel. Ugh. Like, it was strange. And this is probably also what the supposed Chinese emperor, Xin Sheng Wang, coined a mushroom. You know, it kind of did look like a mushroom in a sense. As you begin a new batch of kombucha, when you add a scoby, which I found out could be the physical kind of mushroom-like cellulose mat, which is formed during the fermentation, um, some refer to it, by the way, as a pellicle, or you can actually already use already made kombucha. Let me say that again. You can use the pellicle for the scoby, or the scoby itself could be the already made kombucha. Okay, so once you have one of those two, that's your SCOBY, the fermentation may begin. The fermentation varies in length due to a lot of different factors like temperature, the tea that is used, the location of the brewing vessel. And remember, I use large glass jars. But typically, fermentation is anywhere from 7 to 21 days, give or take. You leave your ferment in room or slightly warmer temperature. If you put your fermentation vessel into the refrigerator, you're going to put your SCOBY to sleep and you can actually not obtain fermentation at all. You will know when your kombucha is ready by a taste test. For someone who has never tried kombucha, it is tart and slightly sweet. Many have referred to it as similar to tasting apple cider vinegar, but personally, I would have to disagree as apple cider vinegar is like a kick you in the teeth type of tart, whereas kombucha has an acidity to it that finishes more with a sweeter note. Now, if you are a kombucha first timer, my personal recommendation is to try it flavored first with some of your favorite flavors. You might be thinking, wait, what? Flavors? Yes, the process of fermenting between 7 to 21 days that I just mentioned is referred to as fermentation 1. What is super cool about kombucha is that after fermentation 1 is over, you can drink it straight from there, known as plain kombucha and what I'm sipping on today, or you can begin what is called fermentation 2, which is where you can explore by adding in different flavors. Many people love to drink kombucha flavored, especially using fruit or a combination of herbs. I myself love citrus fruits and certain herbs like mint or thyme. However, there are tons of things you can flavor with fermentation too. Even fruits, veggies, and dare I say it, bacon. I'm never going to try that. 
Fermentation two takes a lot less time to complete, usually just anywhere from one to five days. The fruit does create more fructose in the end product, but this is often where I typically win the absolutely not kombucha triers who are convinced that they will be partaking in straight vinegar by trying a kombucha that went through fermentation too with their favorite fruit. Plus, because the kombucha is more sweet at the end. It's also during fermentation too that you get a nice carbonation buildup, making it that much more of a refreshing drink. And with all of that time waiting for all the fermenting to be done, you are definitely ready to enjoy it when it's ready. I would encourage you if you're a kombucha lover and have never made kombucha before, to try. It may look extremely daunting in a lot of different steps, but please, I, I hope you try it. I look at it as a new craft. I've always been an admirer of crafters, but admittedly, I'm pretty sloppy. <laughs> Whereas my husband looks at the tiniest details and has an eye for crafts and they always look so much better than mine. I admire you folks who can do that. But what I like about the craft of kombucha is that it does allow to be a little sloppy in some regards. That is not to say that I'm going to rush through and not provide you with an amazing experience. But when I make it, and if you were to make it, you can experiment with portions and take a few risks here and there and still get a great product at the end more times than not. So that leads us right into the next chunk. And I'm going to combine the last two chunks which are the health benefits and cures, as well as describing what you may feel if you drink it and how I myself feel after drinking it. You might be thinking, you went through all that history and process, and if I'm going to take the time to consume or even begin to make this, what is kombucha known to cure? Well, the answer is kombucha does not cure anything. When I first heard that, I wanted to call out, nuh-uh, how does kombucha not cure something? The thing is, is that there is not enough scientific evidence that suggests that kombucha can cure anything or really have any health benefits. That is why when you go research kombucha online, you come across may or can in front of every health benefit claim. Although there are many sources that say that there is a health benefit, even going as far to say that it has completely cured them of, here's my laundry being done, thank you very much. Although there are many sources that there is a health benefit, even going as far to say that it has completely cured them of a specific ailment or disease, it's important to note two things. One, I am not a doctor or a licensed health professional. So when I share about how kombucha benefited me, it does not mean that you will experience those benefits, which leads to the next thing. We are all different. The amount of kombucha I drink a day may impact your body in another way than mine. I may feel energized, whereas you may feel nothing or the opposite. If you have a question or concerns on whether you should partake in drinking kombucha regularly, I would consult and encourage you to speak with your doctor and do some research since you and your doctor know your health history best. Although there might even be doctors online that claim kombucha can cure things for you, again, it's best if you talk with your doctor and you research and do what's best for you. If you do not take away anything else today but one thing, I would hope that you remember this about kombucha. Kombucha is an adaptogen. I was trying to think of a mnemonic to help you remember this that I would do with like my students. And all I came up with is adaptogen on tap. Since I want to be a taproom owner, do you get it? And an adaptogen is something you would want to have on tap because an adaptogen is amazing. An adaptogen is a non-toxic plant that helps to bring the body into balance. Do you remember in science class the term homeostasis? Same thing. Kombucha does not pinpoint one specific organ or part of the body, 
but it helps the entire body by way of providing healthy bacteria, pushing out the bad bacteria that forms in our body and supporting all of our physiological and immunity functions. So basically, where your body is not balanced, this adaptogen seeks to bring this part of the body to balance. Wow, that's really powerful. One huge claim that often people associate with kombucha is gut health. As many sellers market loud and proud the probiotics that are within this drink, and they're not completely false, as kombucha does support a healthy gut and digestive process, but again, going back to the good bacteria that goes into your gut and pushes out and brings to balance your gut flora. And let's be real, especially in the Western world, a majority of the population in the United States eats mainly the standard American diet, or the acronym SAD, which consists of a lot of processed foods, foods high in cholesterol, causing our guts to not feel our best already. So it makes sense to me when I hear most claims on people noticing gut benefits. I've always believed in the gut being another brain in the body. As someone who has battled with extreme irritable bowel syndrome for most of my life and a family history of Crohn's, I took something like probiotics really seriously. I would buy all sorts of fancy probiotics, which were not all bad for me, and I did see some changes, but I did notice some big changes with my symptoms as I started to regularly consume kombucha. Also, I'm definitely not out to trick people. I did also change my diet drastically to that of more of a plant-based diet, which has also tremendously helped my symptoms. And I'm happy to say that I have not had an IBS flare in over a year, and I'm also no longer buying any bottled probiotics. With all of this good gut bacteria moving in our body, this is where some people may experience some discomfort as well. Not all, but some. Often soon after consuming it for the first time. And this is going back to what I previously mentioned. The body is trying to figure out where to put the bad bacteria and the process of bringing the body to homeostasis is an adjustment for everyone. So although some might say kombucha makes you poop, <laughs> look at it through the adaptogen's eyes and see how it is helping that particular function in your body return to balance, which may mean a good dump. <laughs> I'm sorry, I had to. And I did mention I had IBS. So anyway comes with the territory. In addition to adaptogens, kombucha contains antioxidants and vitamins B and C. For me, I notice a difference in my energy levels as vitamin B especially is naturally energizing, but vitamin B also helps with mood stabilization. I didn't know that. And vitamin C is said to aid immunity and also helps with stress relief. I would always go with my bottle of brew that I made each day before last period at school. The vitamins, I felt, gave me a nice perk for the midday and the carbonation excited me like a soda, but I didn't have all the unwanted effects of a sugar crash and burn or an upset belly, uh, which soda usually did to me. Lastly, I believe that drinking kombucha leads naturally to other healthy decisions. As mentioned, kombucha was a part of my health journey as I was removing other foods and trying to work out more and I feel like it truly benefited me and I was able to connect more with myself through the process of consuming kombucha. Some people, depending on symptoms or what they were feeling, sought out kombucha to see if they could experience benefits of their own or even cures and along the way. And there are reports of kombucha helping people to lower blood pressure, heal their eczema, bolster their immune system, help to fight their cancer, relieve headaches, etc. The list goes on and on. Remember, everyone is different. These are not scientifically proven claims. But again, remember, adaptogen on tap, homeostasis in the body.
At the end of the day, from what I have researched and have consumed and now listened to my body, what I have found is that kombucha is not detrimental. For some, it's considered an elixir. Others, it's just a lower sugar choice and alternative to processed drinks. For me, I consider it a, now a staple to my body, a rejuvenative drink. That's a tricky word to say, but it rejuvenates me. A creative way to understand the world around me and now a business venture to spread this drink with as many people as I can to reconnect them with themselves and the world around us, which I feel like the process of fermentation does. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I would love for you to join me on my email club at livingsimplelivingfull.com or you can email me directly at livingsimplelivingfull at gmail.com. I'd love to hear your feedback, questions, or your concerns. Would you like to try brewing at your home? I hope so. Did I totally mess up the pronunciation of something or incorrect information that you want to correct me on? Or do you just want to join me along for the ride and say hi? I want to hear it all. I look forward to hearing from you. And in the meantime, be well and cheers. Cheers.